everybody, TGIF. Welcome to the Friday edition of Winners and Winers Radio. I'm your host, Scott Steen, lead handicapper at winnersandwiners.com. And I'm your co-host, Scott Reichel, senior handicapper over at winnersandwiners.com. And together, we make up Winners and Winers Radio. Give us an hour and we'll give you the winners. We're going to be handing out winners like Halloween candy today, Scott. Well, the football season got underway. How'd you end up doing, buddy? Overall, had a two-pick parlay and one. Had the Steelers on the money line, parlayed with the under 31 and a half. And we said it was going to be bad football. 3 nothing at the half was definitely beyond our wildest expectations. Yeah, we figured there was only going to be one half of really terrible football, and there were two. So, man, we're, we're really hitting our stride here. Uh, it feels that way, but damn, that was a terrible game. It's awful. Just, just, just awful. So, yes, everybody that... Listen to the show yesterday, Scott. We both like the Steelers and the under. We both bet the Steelers and the under, so hopefully some people followed along with us as well. Very, very good. We're going to be talking a lot of stuff today. We're going to be talking a little UFC, recapping the NFL game a little bit, and, of course, breaking down our favorite MLB plays. And We will be bringing you our Bet the Farm action, where we put our heads together, come up with our favorite play of the day. But, Scott, before any of that gets rolling... Let's do what we do and get started on the Friday edition of the people that took the bad beats. They took it in the shorts. They thought they had a winner until they didn't, Scott. And there was a couple of them today. I'm anxious to get to them. So pick up your phone and call the cops. All right, Scott. Well, let's get her started in the major leagues, of course, as we were looking at the Arizona Diamondbacks, plus 160. couple of dogs that were heartbreaking here on Call the Cops, by the way. This is the one that starts. Arizona, Merrill Kelly. <laughs> dealing, Scott. Absolutely dealing. Eight innings, no runs, just two hits against the San Francisco Giants. Scott, do you see a problem here with Merrill Kelly going eight innings? Do you see what the key phrase in that sentence is? I'm assuming the issue is that there are nine innings in a baseball You are absolutely correct, my friend. The D-backs led four zip after eight, and and this is going to be recurring theme today. The bullpen puked it up late, gave up four runs in the ninth to tie it. They gave up one run in the top of the tenth. They did nothing in the bottom of the tenth. San Francisco comes all the way back to take the 5-4 victory. little bonus beat if you had the under nine, you are also looking in great shape as they enter the ninth inning, sitting on four, and you ended up with a push. Scott, I believe we would call that a push loss in our parlance. So if you had the Arizona Diamondbacks on the money line, or if you had the under nine in the same game, hey man, call the cops. And looking at the second bad beat of the day, if you had the Nationals on the money line against the Phillies at plus 140, first of all, I commend you on your optimism because... I don't know why you backed the Nationals at this point in the season, but it looked pretty good. Nationals led five to three, two on, two out in the top of the ninth, one strike away from winning. Real Muto, I heard he's pretty good. Uh, hit a two-run base hit there to tie the game. Walked to Harper intentionally. Hoskins comes up and ropes a double. Seven-five lead for the Phillies. Then the Nationals almost had the miracle comeback for you because they scored a run in the ninth. But they needed two runs in the bottom of the ninth. Lost the game 7-6. to six. Finnegan is not one of the closers I'd rely on in the league. And if you're curious who the Nationals rely on in go-to situations, apparently it's Finnegan. So keep that in mind moving forward. Finnegan again? Yeah, not, not good. Scott, we were lucky enough to have the over in that game as a premium play. So we were one strike away from taking an awful beat on the over because they had seven runs in the, in the can after five innings. Left the bases loaded, had two men on, had a guy thrown out at the plate, drove a double off the top of the wall, about two feet short of being a homer that would have won it. So we almost we almost were on the call to cops for the other side of this. So congratulations to the Phillies. And now they're closing in on the Mets with a big series coming up this weekend. Scott, who do you like there? I'm going to go with the Phillies. It seems like this team... I don't want to say they find ways to win, but the offense has been good. The bullpen has not been good, but it's been better. I do appreciate the fact that they tried to get better relief pitching. So they at least tried to address the issue. The Mets, though, I don't want to say they're falling apart, but losing three out of four to Miami, 
while you're trying to hold off the other teams in the division, yeah. not exactly a good sign moving forward. Now, three and seven in their last 10 are the Mets. Meanwhile, here come the Phillies. Here comes the Braves. Phillies just a half game back. Braves a game and a half back. They are both gone six and four over their last 10. So they picked up three games in the last week and a half. That'll get her done right there, Scotty. Um, my Braves ticket looking a little better than it was a couple of weeks ago. Still got that Braves future. So keeping a good thought there. All right, we're going to finish up Call the Cops with the Cubs and the Rockies out there in Colorado. Rocky Mountain High is what we're looking for here. We're looking for more than 11 and a half runs. And if you had the over 11 and a half, my goodness, you were probably out there spending that money already because they put up 11 runs in the first six innings. It's Colorado. You got to do all you got to do is breathe on the ball and you've got a double. Yep, nothing for the last three innings, zero runs. It was 6 5 after six, and it was 6 5. After nine, if you had Cubs Rockies over 11 and a half, man, it is time for you to call the Cubs. Especially with those bullpens being involved with the Cubs and Rockies, yeah. you can't get anything across. What I'm saying, what I'm saying, brutal. I was, I was surprised, good. surprised I wasn't on that one the way that one went. Well, Scott, the opposite of that, the people that uh, did well, that knew they had a winner. It was a sweet ticket the whole way, Pittsburgh under. Um, but these are the people that could do other things this evening, this afternoon, because they were sitting in the rocket chair. So the first one you mentioned under your breath was the Pittsburgh under, and that's exactly where we're going. Because if you had the Hall of Fame game under, first of all, we told you so. Keep that in mind. Pat ourselves on the back accordingly. Uh, if you had the under there and you see three points in the entire first half, you probably didn't have to watch the second half. However, the second half was actually somewhat entertaining. You did actually get a little bit of a burst there. 16 points in the second half, 16 plus three. See, carry the seven minus the 10. Yeah, it's a little bit under 32 there. So yep. if you had the under, never in doubt, cash by double digits. Yeah, we talked about that, that they'd averaged 23 and a quarter run uh, points over the over the last decade. And Move it down. We said we didn't think they were going to get there. We thought there was a good chance they wouldn't get to 23. And they didn't. Uh, second one, Scott, if you had the Indians Blue Jays under nine, two runs, first five innings, thinking you're sitting pretty good. All they got to do is duplicate that. Nope, they did uh, twice as well. They just put up one run in the final four. That game ended up three zippy. And if you had the under nine in the Indians and the Mash and Blue Jays, congratulations. That was a seriously good call, and it paid off for you. You were sitting in the rocking chair. And the last one was between the Pirates and the Reds. If you had the over nine and a half, nice and easy. Reds led seven nothing after the second inning. Pirates scored four runs just for fun in the fifth inning. No more runs, but you didn't need any more runs. Game ended seven to four. You know, you know how you know the Pirates lost that one and lost it by quite a lot, but the fact that I wasn't fading them. So I was going to say, I remember yesterday on air, I said I liked Gray on the run line. You said I do too, but I'm not going to bet it, so you should. Right, absolutely true. I laid off, so everybody that bet uh, John, uh, Sonny Gray and the Reds, you're welcome. Scott, let's talk about who's wearing the Friday edition of the Golden Feedback. We have well, first of all, before we actually get into that, quick yes? question: uh -huh. I put this one in. I was curious. Did you hear about the story before I put it in, or this is brand new to you? Brand new to me. Okay. Thanks for bringing that up, though. So when my read, where I was going to sound like I knew exactly what I was talking about, now that is out the window. I thought I was going to do it because I put it in. Oh, well, can you pronounce the names? I can do my best. I've seen you try to pronounce the names in UFC. I got a better shot than you do. Eastern European names are not my friend. I do all right, I do all right on Asian names. I do all right on Spanish names. But you start throwing in the, the Zs and the Ws together, I'm just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to struggle. So, my friend, I will let you have this one. You've got our own contender, our own winner of the Golden Feedback. Yeah, pull close to your radios, kids. Turn up the volume because it's ready. It's time for the Friday edition of Donkey of the Day. Every time. Every time. Mm -hmm. So looking at the Donkey of the Day for Friday, weren't really men, many uh, you know people competing for the award today, but there was one in particular, and I'm sure none of you ever heard of him. You had a Kazakhstan Olympic wrestler. Very nice. Uh, Nurislam Sanaev. By the way, I could have done that one. 
I could have done that one. I'm sure you could have, <laughs> but I threw in the Borat of, you know, uh, impression there as well. So that's bonus points. But anyway, if you were watching Olympic wrestling, maybe you somewhat know the rules. You're supposed to pin the guy, you know, it's a scoring system, stuff like that. I know one of the big not rules. A, not enough tunes, tombstones, not enough sweet chin music, you know, a couple of tinkering you need to add to the rule book. No, no DVTs. But anyway, I did know that one rule when it comes to wrestling of any kind, you're not supposed to use your teeth. You're not supposed to bite the opposing wrestler. And apparently our guy Sanaev didn't know that rule because he was in the middle of the semifinals. So he already got through a couple of rounds and he decided if I'm losing and my hands aren't doing the trick, maybe my teeth will. And he bit the arm of his opponent and he lost the match anyway. Now, as far as I know, he wasn't punished for it. The other guy had an ice pack on, I guess, just to stop some potential swelling or anything. But a tetanus in shot? general, wait, what? A tetanus shot? He might need one. I don't exactly know. But the only thing I know is that the guy decided to uh, do whatever he could to win. And he took street rules into, well, serious terms because he tried to bite somebody and maybe swing the way that the match was going. Now, as far as I know, he hasn't been punished for it. What punishment would you have for this guy? Would you just ban him for life from Olympic competition? You can't go around biting people. I mean, come on. Like, what, are you serious? Well, if Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson are any indication, you give him a rematch, Scott. That is according to the rules, so we'll see what happens there. But I'm assuming you agree with me that he should be suspended from the next Olympics or at least banned indefinitely because... You, you, you can't do this. Like, this is just ridiculous. Can we really be judged by our worst day, though, Scott? I'm sure he's <laughs> had better days. Okay, so I've got a couple questions here before I answer your question. First of all, don't they wear mouth guards in wrestling? Uh, apparently not. Or huh. maybe he took it off kind of like a blood sport where he had a special compartment, just threw it in the eye. Like, he had a backup plan in case I've, things went south. I've never seen blood sport. What? No. What? Even you don't know about the Kumite? The what? Come on, man. What? Uh, come on. You, you got to you got to do your research, man. For... The Kumite, the underground fight club. First rule of underground fight club. <laughs> no, I don't know about the Kumite. Am I am I crazy here? You got John Claude Van Damme just going around just beating people up. It's good stuff. The muscle from Brussels? Yes. All right. For those of you that are watching on our on our YouTube channel and have the ability to comment, please comment and tell me if I'm the only one out there that's never heard of. I mean, I've heard of Bloodsport, but I've never seen it. I have no idea what goes on. It's a classic cliche '80s movie with the soundtrack being awful and whatever, and the acting's not that great, but it's entertaining. Wait, Jean Claude Van Damme's in it, and you said the acting isn't that great? That doesn't surprisingly though. Very young Forrest Whitaker in the movie. Nice. Very nice. Well, okay, so here's my second question. Did it break the skin? Did you did you see the wound? Uh, I'm not sure if there was any blood involved, but there was a pretty noticeable bite mark. <sighs> okay, yeah, he's got to get a tetanus shot. That's that's ridiculous. Yeah, I think... I think uh, you have to ban the guy, don't you? I think Johnny Cassick stands got to go. Uh, Mikey Moller's is... Uh, I think he's wrestled at his last Olympics. I'd have to assume so. So he'd made the semi. So this was the semifinal. This was the group of four match. So he was still. It gonna... wasn't like it was the first time he's ever done this. Like he knew the rules. He had Wait. already done pretty well, and then he just decided time to nibble on this guy's arm. You're not saying, for the record, you're not saying it's the first. It's not the first time he's ever bit somebody. It, this is a first for him for biting, right? As far as I know, he won the first couple rounds without using his teeth. Neuroslam, the choppers, and I have. So okay, so it's not like a regular thing with him. Yeah, In I, his defense, it might be a signature move. Yeah, I, I think he's got to go. I'm, I'm with you. I, th- I don't think you can allow that egregious of a rule violation. I imagine there's going to be some sign. Because you know, you're probably, if you're a, if you're a wrestler from Kazakh, cause Kazakhstan, you are probably unbelievably wealthy. So probably be a $17 fine. They don't have to work for a few years to pay off, but... Uh, you know, I, maybe Borat's maybe just gave me a bad impression of Kazakhstan. Never been there. Could be really beautiful. I don't know. Could Scott, be. Spend any time in Kazakhstan? I have not, but I have watched Triple G fight, so I believe that makes me cultured enough in Kazakhstan culture. Triple G fights? Yeah. What's that? Golovkin, the uh, former champion boxer. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. You, you I like don't know if you ever watched him fight, but you he like had the a combat couple sports. fights against Canelo that were very good. You like the combat sports, don't you? 
Uh, yeah, I do. And so does the country of Kazakhstan. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. All right, guys, a quick reminder, you are listening to Winners and Winers Radio. Give us an hour, and we'll give you the winners. So, Scott, speaking of winners, you know who isn't a winner? Barcelona. This is a breaking story yesterday. They can't afford to keep Messi, Scott. The uh, team apparently is a billion dollars in debt, so that's not good. And his contract, they reached an agreement, but apparently La Liga said uh, niet to that agreement and they couldn't have it structured so that it would be uh, under the salary cap, so to speak. Messi, Scott, has been with Barcelona for 21 years. His latest contract that expired last season, four years, $500 million. That's salary bonuses and his uh, profits off his name, image, and likeness. Holy mackerel, Scott. What a, and what a line. 810 professional games, 683 goals, 10 Liga titles, titles, 7 Copas del Rey, 4 Champions League crowns, and 3 FIFA Club World Cups. Who's to blame in this one, and what are his next moves going to look like? See, of course, everybody wants to blame Barcelona, or Barcelona, as the cool kids say. Right. But as a whole, I think COVID plays a huge factor. And it's mostly because of the fact that we talked about this during the pandemic over in the States. A lot of teams rely heavily on revenue when it went on, on uh, actual fans to show up in the stadiums for revenue. Right. And when you can't exactly sell out any of your games or let alone have anybody in attendance, you're going to get absolutely slaughtered. And I think we can agree that even if that might not equal a billion dollars, yes, that might have helped cut into the debt to the to the point where maybe La Liga would have let it slide. So I do think COVID played a factor in this. Having said all that, a billion dollars, you couldn't have done a couple car washes or something to try <laughs> to bump that down to maybe nine hundred million. Like oh, a billion. That's a lot. That's that's what a- are you like? The United States, like you got like seven billion dollars, seven trillion dollars in debt or something. Like what? At some point, you reach a number that's so astronomical. I just think it's made up. How do you owe somebody a billion dollars? Well, they the answer is you owe it to a lot of people, apparently. Uh, but, apparently, too. I, I'm curious if uh, those people might send over a couple of, let's say, people to make sure they pay the check. Yo, Moose and Rocco, help, help Barcelona <laughs> find their wallet. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. But a billion dollars in debt, that's just... So, of course, because... Can they set it's... up a, play, a payment plan? Can they Vanilla <sighs> the thing? How are they going to work that out? Can you put Can you put Messi on layaway? Can we do can that? Can you put it on the Underhills tab? <laughs> so, Scott, of course it's European soccer, so there's drama and intrigue below the surface. There's some conspiracy theories that thinks that uh, La Ligua pulled the plug on that because Barcelona still wants to be a part of the Super League. And they are doing anything they can to stand in their way. They know without Messi on the team, they won't be nearly as an attractive partner to join the Super League. So, Scott, is it La Liga's fault on this? Where are we, where are we headed? You believe, are, you, are you a fan of the conspiracy theory there? I like conspiracy theories usually. Okay. I don't like this one. I don't really think this one has many legs. You can make that argument, except for the fact that Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid, who are the two other really good teams in La Liga, mm-hmm. were also supposed to join the Super League. So even if Barcelona struggles, that would just make Real and Atletico look better. So I don't exactly agree with that conspiracy theory, because if you're going to make one of those three teams worse, you're making the other two look stronger. So I think that actually accomplishes less if you're making the case that they're trying to sabotage any team that potentially tried to double cross the La Liga. I don't buy it. I just think Barcelona lost a ton of money. And La Liga basically said, if you're down a billion dollars, we can't exactly let you shell out another 300 million to Lionel. So I think it's all money-based. I don't buy into the conspiracy theory. You? You know, I'm going to need to see more information. I think more will come out as the uh, as the days go by so where's he headed scott what's who can afford him where is how valuable a property is he at this point in his career and what's he going to make so there's two teams that are linked to him right now or two main teams you have one team in france which is psg which is usually the best team in france this past year that a bit of a down year but that would potentially pair him up with mbappe and neymar 
and they would probably be either the best team in the world or at least top three. The other choice is the most expensive team in England, which is Man City. And they were rumored to get Messi a couple of months ago before Messi eventually decided to return to Barcelona. And now it seems like there's a decent chance Man City could go. Man City just paid Grealish, a midfielder, about $170 million. Chump change. So I'm assuming Messi would probably make 300 plus million. Then again, I don't exactly know how many years Messi would sign because Ronaldo's bounced around to a couple of teams. Neymar's bounced around to a couple of teams. Messi was really the only guy who really stayed loyal to one club his entire career with superstar status. I am curious if Messi would try to commit a couple of years to a new club or if maybe he'll try to do the medley where he just spends like one or two years on various teams and tries to win a title. That remains to be seen. How long does he have left, Scott? Because he's 34 now. So what what's the time frame for him to be able to play the kind of elite soccer that he's played for the last 20 years? See, people say 34, and people think that Messi's young because you'd think Messi was like 39 because of how often he's played and everything like that. Right. He reminds me of Nadal in tennis because you look at him and go, I feel like this guy's 50, but it says here he's 34. And then you're like, oh, yeah, he started playing when he was like 14 competitively. So he's been around the block a few times. Messi is a guy who relies, I don't want to say solely on agility, but when you're his short size and stature, if he starts to lose a step or two, you'll clearly be able to tell he's not going to be the same guy. However, he has been relatively healthy throughout his entire career. He's really avoided many serious injuries. I'd assume he probably has two to three years left of elite play before you start to see some serious signs of decline. Do I think he's going to win another Ballon d'Or? No, but I still think he's going to be a top five player in the world for probably the next three years or so before maybe you start seeing some signs of decline. Best player of all time? I didn't see Pele play. I personally love Ronaldo, but I do think Messi is the case to be the modern era greatest player of all time. Unquestionably unquestionably top three, right? Yeah, I think the top three are going to be Pele, I think Ronaldo. I think Ronaldo and Messi in any order. I mean, you can make an argument maybe for some other guys, but those are the three that I think of when I think of just unstoppable soccer talent. Yeah, and, you- and me knowing nothing about soccer, that's probably the three guys I would have put on the list too. Um, you know, I was, I did actually see Pele play. I actually saw him play in person, believe it or not, when uh, back back in the day. But you know, it was hard. Cosmos. To, uh, yeah, when they, they played the Kansas City Steers. I don't even know, remember what the. That's a name. North American Soccer League, I think, was what it was. And I don't remember what, what our team was. But, yeah, I got to see Pele play. And, you know, of course, I was too young to appreciate it. But um, I would have been interesting to see him play in today's game. You know, it's it's comparing, comparing eras. I know, you know, even less about soccer. So it's hard for me, especially, to compare eras and the comp- level of competition that Pele was facing. But hard to believe he was much better than those two guys. Yeah, so I'm not going to group, uh, you know, talking about who's the best ever because I do think errors play a factor. You could also mention Maradona if you want to throw in another guy. But right. as a whole, I think modern era, so post-Pele, I'll go Messi being the greatest of all time. All right, yeah. fair enough. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you. It certainly comes down to him or Ronaldo, and I know I know there's people in both camps. So, so Scott, heading to Cub, the Cubsville, Cub, Wrigley, Wrigleyville, Cubstown. The friendly confines. They're going to get a lot friendlier for sports better, Scott, because the uh, Cubs, is the, actually the Cubs that are doing this, they're building a sports book at Wrigley Field. Should be ready to go in uh, two seasons from now. Is that a good idea? Is it the wave of the future? What do you What do you make of this? I think it's a great idea. The Cubs are overpriced at home every year, and they're going to be terrible for a while. So the Cubs fans can make some money as they watch their team struggle. But will that, reality, will that will that help the people that want to fade the Cubs? I mean, can you can you could you literally legitimately go to the Cubs games every day and probably pick up twenty cents of value over where the Cubs should be priced just because you're betting it live at Wrigley Field? I have to assume if the Cubs are laying one forty, you'll probably get them one seventy at the window. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. So I know true. that's what you're saying. I was just trying to be specific with an example. But looking at this actual situation, I love it. I really don't see many cons to it. It's not like the players are going to have a booth in the locker room, so you don't have to worry about any conspiracy theories going on. I think it'll be fine. 
I do think that the one underrated positive from the idea is the fact that is there anything more hideous than seeing a home ballpark with about 70% of the fans who left by the sixth inning because their team's down five runs? Right. Yeah, they're all streaming for the exits, waiting at the subway station or the L, whatever. You start looking around a lot of empty seats and you're going, wow, you know, the fans aren't that passionate. But suddenly you take a live line, a plus seven and a half, and you're sticking around for the ninth inning, don't you think? Absolutely. So if they have a mobile app, which I don't know if they will or not, but Scott, can you catch some value in game because you're going to be able to beat them before they can change the odds? I'm assuming no. Uh, I know that that has been an issue when it comes to some sports books in the past, mostly with potential uh, people sitting in the stands it's called court siding in the business but people who sit at events and try to call in to others at home maybe to place a bet before something's been graded or something like that so that has been an issue mostly in tennis that has been around for a while i got to assume that Wrigley extra careful to something even faster than other sports books because you kind of have to. Maybe it's a good question. Maybe you lock. Maybe you lock it. Maybe you geofence it and lock it down before the start of every half inning. Uh, that'll be my assumption. I don't think they're going to have DraftKings pitch by pitch options, right? Where you can bet the next pitch to be a ball. But I'm assuming they'll give you top of the inning, maybe in between batters, stuff like that. But I got to assume complete bare bones operation you yeah probably the same i'll be i'll be curious to see how it is and you know i, I will certainly make a trip there which if are you, they partnering up with a sports book or are they just doing this rogue it was not mentioned that there was any sports book involved it just said the cubs were building a sports book now that's dangerous gonna be they owned, have an idea what, what o- they're doing owned by the wrigley family i don't know can you walk up to the counter and ask if you can parlay the spread in the money one just see what happens. Give it a shot. Give it a shot. Yeah, just pretend happens. you're a complete noob. Like you have no idea what you're doing and just see if they help you out. Just go. Uh, yeah. I want a 176 money line and run line. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Well, okay. I want the Cubs to win and I want the Cubs to win by at least two runs. And uh, then you have some random person who has no idea what's going on who got hired like two days ago. Well, let me see what, if I can help you. It's like, it says this isn't illegal. Can you help me? Scott, I can I can tell you from spending a little time on the other side of the counter that you know, your helpful machine there that spits those tickets out, yeah, not going to let you do that, no matter how you put it in. I'm really curious how many people who are even genuinely new are going to try to make up bets that are completely illegal and get angry at the machine for not letting it happen. Uh, a lot, I'm sure. I'm sure. Very good. Oh, man. Team USA, Scott, was a rocky road, but they got there. They're playing for the gold against France. They are 12.5-point favorites. What did they do differently after playing so badly in the exhibition games, playing bad in their opening game against France? What did they do to turn it around, Scott? Was it just the level of competition? I think it was the fact that they got a couple of extra players. I know that they were there for the first game against France, but you didn't really have much from Booker, from Holiday, and from Middleton in the opening game. Right. Holiday has been fantastic. There's really no other way around it. I don't want to say that he's been the most valuable player because I think it's either him or Durant. Levine's been pretty good too. But defensively, we talked about how bad Lillard was in the first couple of games because they just could he couldn't guard anybody. Holiday is easily the best defender on this team. And I do think that his on-ball pressure has definitely played a serious factor in USA turning it around. As you would say, a good defensive team, no. But they're not god-awful, and that's because of Drew Holiday. So I do think that he has been a huge energy boost to the defensive end of the USA. You? Uh, Yeah, I agree. I, I think getting those three guys back in playing shape, like you said, they weren't really ready to go in in that first game against France. So... I will be curious to see, Scott, because obviously the books, the bookmakers love them. Uh, bookmakers loved them against Australia, and man, if you had, if you had, if you faded the United States, you looked really smart at halftime, and then you didn't, as they absolutely dominated the second half. I will be curious to see. I'm, I'm going to tell you, Scott. I don't think they have any more 11 point quarters like they did against France in the opener. They scored 11 points there in the third quarter. And that was pretty much the difference of the game as France uh, scored 25 and, you know, Bob's your uncle. There you go. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him cover. I really wouldn't you and you, you think they cover. I mean, if you want to talk about locks, I'm not going to say that it's impossible for France to win twice, but team USA played so badly in the opener and they still almost won the game. 
I got to assume the Team USA is going to win. It might be close, might not be, but I think Team, team USA is going to go home with the gold. So, Scott, last time we were out in Vegas, every time we were trying to have a nice meal, what is the number one question you kept hearing whenever we were at dinner? Are you going to finish that? What? Appetizers, entrees, sides. You're always asking if I was going to finish what I was eating. Okay. Hey, in my defense, you eat slower than the turtle on Xanax. But, okay, let me make the question a little easier. What's the number one question you would get from people when you tell them you work for Winners and Winners? What's Winners and Winners? Exactly. So what do you tell them? I tell them that it is the place to go for your sports betting needs. They have breakdowns on every single game in a variety of sports, basketball, football, college football. We know that's coming up. It's been really a great opportunity to just get better at sports betting, and they give you all the opinions that you need. Yeah, see, and the thing I like about it is the fact that they don't just inundate you with numbers that have no context. You know, you go to some places and they just throw numbers, numbers, numbers. But they don't tell you what they mean, and you just kind of your eyes glaze over. But these guys, not only do they use those same numbers and put them in context, but they're fantastic writers. They're great handicappers. You mentioned college football coming up. That's my favorite time to use winners and winners because they do every FBS game every single week. It is a fantastic site. Scott, what's the best part about winners and winners? It's absolutely free to use. That's right. It is absolutely free to use. Winnersandwinners.com. You absolutely have to check it out. You need to make this site part of your daily handicapping regimen. If you are not doing it, you are absolutely leaving money on the table. So, see? That wasn't that hard at all, right? Sure. You're still getting none of my fries. What? I, I, didn't, I didn't say a word. I saw you looking at them. Seriously, dude, it's it's been like an hour. If you're not going to eat them, oh, man, that's brutal. All right, fine. Seriously, though, winnersandwiners.com. Go there or be square. everybody it is the second half of winners and winners radio i am your host scott steen joined by scott reichel give us an hour and we'll give you the winners well scott we've already dealt out a couple of winners or what we anticipate will be winners but scott let's talk about yesterday just one more time here i want to talk about a couple of games that you know for lack of a better term scott i think there was something wrong with the odds makers personally I think the oddsmakers were drunk. Not good, not good at all, my friend. So you know, there's a couple of there's a couple of contenders here, because there was a couple of huge dogs that really paid off well. Let's start. Let's start, shall we, Scott, in Houston, Texas, as the Houston Astros were minus two forty favorites against Minnesota Twins and Griffin Jacks. Griffin Jacks dealing, Scott. Minnesota Twins win that one 5-3. Odds makers, what are you thinking? Are you drunk and heading to Chicago? How about those Kansas City Royals? Young rookie Daniel Lynch on the mound against grizzled veteran Dallas Keuchel. Chicago White Sox somewhere around minus 200. Obviously, they were drunk, underestimating the Royals. The Royals are now 8-0, their last eight against left-handed pitchers, and they chewed them up in this one, too, as the Royals bashed them for three runs. And that was enough. Oddsmakers, what the hell? Scott, you got one? I think the main one's just the under in the Hall of Fame game. And it's one thing to be wrong. You're wrong by over 12 points. <laughs> like, it wasn't even close. No, that was just absolutely mind-numbing there about I mean I don't know what you do I mean what do you so what do you you set that at what 23 what, what do you set it at I really am not sure but that's the problem because you can't set it too low and of course we're judging everything based in hindsight but I, you got to assume that 33 was too high I mean we mentioned what the average point total was 23 over the last decade right you got to put it somewhere in either the high 20s to even lower 30s but 33 I mean you got to look at the quarterbacks alone and realize they're not going to get to 20 something points yeah I'm kind of uh I'm kind of with you Scott I was 
I was really surprised. You know, I, I, I wasn't surprised it went under. I was surprised it went under by that much. Let's just put it this way. I'm not surprised that one of those teams did not score a touchdown. No, no, absolutely not. So, all right, Scott, well, it's Friday, and you know what that means. It is time to do our segment that we like to do every Friday as you get a chance to uh, to show off your mad skills in the combat sports arena. Scott, got a big card in UFC coming up this Saturday night. It is once again time for Puncher's Chance. There we go. I wanted to let it fade out. All good. All right. Uh, it's like that last note of uh, Day in the Life of the Beatles. Mm-hmm. No, you don't. You have no idea. I know. Go ahead, Scott. So, uh, looking at the UFC card, there is one matchup that I like a lot. It's going to be in a matchup between Casey Kenny and Yudong Sung. And for this one, I like Casey Kenny to win the fight at about minus one twenty. If you want to take by decision, I don't hate that either. You can get a plus price there. But I do think that Kenny's going to win. You want to talk about both these fighters, and they've both had pretty, let's just say, solid UFC careers so far. Kenny lost his last fight, though, to Dominic Cruz in a split decision. I watched the fight. Very entertaining. I thought Cruz won, but it was close. And Yudong Sung lost his last fight to Phillips, which I did not think was that close. But anyway, the issue I have with Yudong Sung is that he's kind of a stand-up exclusive fighter where he doesn't exactly have much talent on the ground. And it's a serious problem because Kenny recently has showcased a lot of talent in the stand-up, but he is a very, very solid wrestler. You look at his credentials, second-degree black belt in judo, black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I think that Kenny's going to use the wrestling often, and I think Song's going to end up on his back a decent amount because Kenny is very aggressive. He's got a very solid gas tank, and I do think that he can do enough to limit uh, uh, Song's strength in the stand-up while also being able to transition into some solid takedowns. I think it'll be an entertaining fight. I do think that Song's going to be able to survive these 15 minutes, but minus 120 for such a huge advantage on the ground is simply just completely mispriced. I think Kenny should be closer to minus 135, minus 140, but I do think he'll win the fight. All right, very good, Scott. Did you say he had a very strong gas tank? Yes. Oh, if only the Pinto would have had a very strong gas tank. So, Scott... Which match, which bout is that? Is that the main event? Is that one of the, is it the undercard of the main event or is it one of the preliminaries? Can you tell us where to find that fight? Yeah, so it is not the main fight on the card. That, of course, is going to be Cyril Gahn versus Derek Lewis, but it is one of the fights on the main event card. So it's going to be one of the first couple of fights there after the prelims, but it's not going to be the main, main fight. All right, very good. And I know you've been running pretty well on Puncher's Chance, haven't you? Are you, are you undefeated on Puncher's Chance? I don't know about undefeated. I have won in every single card, but the first time we did this, I gave out multiple fights. Okay. And I did lose one of those, but I did end up going profitable anyway. Okay. So for every card we've done, I've made money. I think I've lost one out of, I think I'm four and one. All right, and, right. That sounds right. And by the way, no one cares if you make money, but the people that listen to our show have also been able to make money. And that's yeah, that too. That, that's a that's a bonus too. Yeah, that too. <laughs> Very good. All right. So there you go. Puncher's chance, and it's one more time. It's going to be Kenny Oversong, Casey Kenny on the money line at minus one twenty against Yudong Song. If you want, to also take by decision at plus one seventy five. I don't hate that. Okay, but I'll go with the money line as my favorite play. You think it's going the distance? I do. Okay. Very good. Wish we had the money to play that song, Scott, because that'd be perfect. One day. Yeah, one day. One day. Dare to dream. All right, my friend. Well, I guess we we promised we'd talk about this football game just a little bit, Scott, and I know we touched on it a bit about how awful it was. Did we, did we learn anything? Was there anything in that game? Was there any information that we can glean at all? I think that you have to ask yourself how much the extra week of preparation is going to have for the other teams that have yet to play preseason games. Am I wrong for just blindly liking the under in like every single week one of preseason? I think it's probably going to be profitable. I think that's, that's usually a pretty solid play and you'll see that that reflected in the, in the totals that those games get posted. You're going to, this won't be the last time we see a game in the 30s for, for an I think this will be the lowest total before the final preseason game, so hypothetically, nice but I think most totals will probably be around, I'd say, anywhere from 36 to maybe 40 flat. 
yeah. give or take. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I can't imagine. If, if we see a 45, I'll be stunned. I agree. So did we learn anything mainly about the quarterback position? I know where they're trying to sort out the backup role um, really on each of those teams, although I guess Garrett Gilbert pretty much has a better handle on it than Mason Rudolph does. So, Scott, I know you said you like Dwayne Haskins. Do you think he overtakes Rudolph for the second spot there for the heir apparent to Big Ben? Well, I don't know who told you I liked Haskins because that's pure sarcasm, but I thought Haskins actually looked decent. I can't say he looked No, good. you told me you liked him tonight. You told me you liked what he did yeah. when he played. I liked him tonight because I thought that the bar was set so low for Dallas, and I wasn't exactly wrong. Danucci shouldn't be in the league. I don't really know what you could see from Danucci that tells you he should be on a roster. He was absolutely terrible. I thought Gilbert was okay. I thought Rush was okay. The main issue was turnovers. A couple of really brutal fumbles by the Cowboys and even an interception by Danucci where he just threw it into double coverage and it just got easily picked off. Well, and a brutal fumble by Pittsburgh to start the game on their first drive that led to the only points Dallas got all night. Correct. So I'm mostly talking about the Cowboys. I just thought all the quarterbacks looked average at best. Danucci looked useless. He shouldn't be on the team. He ran for 34 yards. Yeah. As for Pittsburgh... I think Rudolph was okay besides that ridiculous reverse fumble, which was just, I don't know what Rudolph was trying to do. What, what are we, we, what are we running in the, in the first week of preseason? Really? That's, that's the one you're pulling out of your bag. You've had time to get that, uh, the fine edge on that play. Have you? No, no, it's you some, haven't. Yeah. It, it's something that Rudolph, I don't think was exactly prepared for. Haskins was okay. Then again, you looked at the playbook and it was everything we said it was going to be bunch of handoffs up the middle couple of stretch plays, mostly involving dump-offs to the flats. So I expect low-scoring games. I think you'll see the same game plan by most teams in the league for the next preseason game that they have. Yeah, that was that was not just vanilla. That was like Sonic vanilla right there. That wasn't even like a French vanilla or a nice Ben & Jerry's. That was, that was Sonic, give me a dollar, here's a cone with vanilla. That's how vanilla that game was. Any feelings on the running back situation for Pittsburgh? Both Najee Harris and McFarlane averaged about three yards a carry. Um, anything anything that we've learned there? Not really. I think Harris is still going to be the starter. McFarland, I simply think, is a little bit too small to be an every-down running back. Of course, Benny Snell didn't play, so you do have to wonder where he's going to factor in. I didn't really think anybody looked that sharp on the ground. The one guy who did impress me a lot in general was going to be the rookie that the Cowboys ended up drafting, Parsons, who I thought was very good. I know he had a fumble recovery early on to the game. I thought he looked solid. So if you want to talk about guys who jumped off the page for me for his first ever NFL game, quote unquote, I think Parsons looked pretty good. You? Yeah, I agree. That's a, he's was thought that he was going to be a monster there coming out of Penn state. And he's the favorite to win defensive rookie of the year. And I can understand it because he at no point in the game tonight, did he look completely lost? Hopefully, if you're going to play, if you're going to play the odds on that, you got them before this game because I guarantee you they were they were better uh, yesterday or they were they were better on Wednesday than they ended up being on Thursday night. After I think you'll game. agree with that though. When it comes to betting on rookies in the season, if you want to look at preseason and what to judge for defense, look like you know what you're doing. Yes, that's really the only goal you have to have as a rookie who wants to actually have an important, I'd say, spot on the roster. Yep, Parsons looked very comfortable. Yep. Know your know your assignments. Know know your responsibilities and keep to them. Yeah, that's and that's pretty impressive, Scott. Considering he's been, you know, in training camp for two weeks, ten days, yeah. whatever. whatever of it course, been. the fumble was kind of lucky because it's a reverse. The guy drops the ball and Parsons is right there, but okay. still, yeah, right spot. You know, at the right time. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely true. So we'll see what happens going forward. Both of these teams. Well, I know Scott expects a little bit out of the Cowboys, thinks they might contend in the East just because the East is so bad. We, we both expect nothing out of Pittsburgh, and I don't think we saw anything out of either one of these teams that makes us drastically change our opinion there. Well, we shouldn't have seen anything to drastically change our opinion besides some brutal injury. You know, when Claypool was down there for a second, I know everybody's hearts were in their throats there in, in Pittsburgh. Yep. Because, you know, first preseason game, that's, that would have just been absolutely brutal. Absolutely brutal. So now we've got to wait for huh, what till week week from today, Scott. Next preseason games next Friday night, Friday night, Saturday, that kind of thing. Yeah, I believe so. It's going to be a long week, buddy. Because we've had uh, it's going to be long. Actually, you have a couple of games on Thursday. Okay, all right, very good. So just a uh, you know, six short days. We'll be back in, in with football. I told you it's like 
It's like you order the food and they bring the salads right out. And you're like, oh, this is going to work. And then all of a sudden you got to wait and wait and wait because it seemed like mm-hmm. this preseason game was there really fast. And then, yeah, we got to wait. All right. So, all right, Scott. Well, I do want to remind everybody, once again, you are listening to a Winners and a Winers Radio. Give us an hour. We're going to give you the winners. And that is what we're fitting to do right now as we break down the Friday card, share a couple of our favorites. And, of course, stay tuned, everybody. I know you've been patient. I know you've been waiting. And we're going to have it for you. It is the Friday edition of Bet the Farm. So, yeah, stay tuned. We'll be coming up with that. So, Scott, we're starting to reach the point in the season where there's some big series going on. We touched on this briefly before, but it's going to be the New York Mets and the Philadelphia Phillies. Phillies are just a half a game back. That series opens tonight, 7.05 Eastern Time. Marcus Stroman goes against the newly acquired Mizzou grad Kyle Gibson for the Philadelphia Phillies. This game Opened as the Phillies' favorites of minus 108. Now pretty much a little bit of Philly money coming in, sitting somewhere around minus 113 or so. Opened eight and a half, and it's now up to nine. Scott, who you got here, and who's going to who's going to be in first place when this series is over? I think it's a very tough series to predict because every team in the NL East can be good or bad on any given day, or even any given inning. They don't even think they can get through a game by being consistent. But looking at the actual matchup here, I'm going to go with Philly. At the end of the day, the Mets are four over, but they're nine under on the road. This is not a good road team. Philly, though, very good at Citizens Bank Park. Uh, they are 31 and 21 at home. A couple of really impressive comfort behind wins against Washington over the last couple of days. Gibson was really good in his franchise debut. Stroman was good. Then he ended up struggling a little bit recently. The Mets losing three out of four to Miami is concerning. Phillies have the better offense. Harper's starting to look like a potential MVP candidate because DeGrom and Tatis, of course, are out indefinitely. I'm going to ride the hot hand here. I'll take the Phillies. You? Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I, I'm, I don't love the Mets on the road. Their bullpen has been pretty good all year, but it's been much better at home. And personally, Scott, I'm of the opinion that a win like they had yesterday against the Nationals, that kind of come-from-behind, gritty, two-out, two-strike win, I think that maybe means a little bit more than the average win. I, I think that may give them a little impetus, and they might be flying pretty high heading into this series. And yeah, just to uh, just to reiterate, Mets road bullpen ERA 4.86. So a uh, much better unit at home than on the road. I'm with you. I'll take the short favorite there on the Philadelphia Phillies, minus 115. I'm going to lock that up before it gets any more out of hand. As far as the total goes... Yeah, I would probably if I was going to play a total, I'd probably play the first half under. First. I can't. I can't. I have a hard time taking an over with the Mets. Yeah, I'd pl- I'd play the first five under. You never know if one of these bullpens are gonna is gonna puke it up late. But yeah. I think I think that's probably the way I'd go on that one. Wade Miley dealing against Brubaker. Brubaker Scott's pretty much sucked in every game this season except when we faded him last start, when he was actually very very good. Cincinnati prohibitive favorite here, open minus 215. Holy mackerel, here comes that Pittsburgh money as that line currently stands at minus 210. Nine is your total all the way across the board. Scott, this is a weird Cincinnati team. Is uh, They have the offense to be the best team in baseball, and they have the pitching staff, especially the bullpen, to be a bottom five team. So, number one, can they make any noise in the Central, or is that race over? And number two, what do they do in this one? Of course, anything's possible, but in my opinion, I think that race is over, over. I just think the Brewers are too good. They're just too consistent. I know that the bullpen we've mentioned issues with for Milwaukee still seem to be only better than Cincinnati's, so I'm not even going to compare those two, but Milwaukee is the starting pitching. The lineup has been surprisingly decent after such a terrible start for Milwaukee. I don't think Cincinnati's got enough in the tank to catch them. So I think they're going to be on the outside of the playoff picture when it's all said and done. But against Pittsburgh, I like him on the run line again. I mentioned how recently Cincinnati has buried Pittsburgh. And I also like him even more because I know there's no chance you're taking Cincinnati on the run line. So I think they'll probably get it done. Can't do it. Can't do it. I'm, I'm laying off the Pittsburgh Pirates. Or I'm laying off fading the Pirates. So everybody out there, feel free to bet extravagant amounts of money 
on who's ever going up against Pittsburgh. And I think you should start it with this one. Although Brubaker, I will say, Scott, I misspoke. He's actually been decent in his last two starts. He went six innings, one run his last time as they picked up the win against Nola and the Phillies. And he did give up just two his start before that. Of course, he just went four innings. So I don't mind Brubaker. I don't think he's good. I don't think he's awful. But I think Wade Miley has been a very underrated pitcher this season. Absolutely. And I mentioned the Reds run line yesterday, uh, and that ended up working out. Pittsburgh just stinks, Uh, especially when you're not backing them or when you're not fading them. Pittsburgh is so bad. Funny funny story, Scott. It looks like Wade Miley has faced the Pittsburgh Pirates and never seen one of their games go under. Fantastic. So, and it means, means the Reds will score eight runs in the first two innings. Well, I'll tell you what, it, it all comes down to the fact that they've scored 49 runs for him in six games. That's pretty good. <laughs> That'll do her. That'll do you right there, boys. All right. So get yourself down on Cincinnati. I'm laying off, so you should be good to go. Scott, are there any games here that really get your attention that you're excited about? There actually is one. I don't know how Cleveland against anybody, especially against Detroit, is laying about 150. I know Quantrill's been okay. Manning is not, but Detroit has had the best offense since the All-Star break. If you want to talk about runs per game or just total runs. I'm sorry, what, what, was it, what was that? Detroit has the most runs since the All-Star break. The Dickens, you say? Yeah, it's a thing. Oh. But Detroit did well against Boston over the last couple of days. Cleveland got destroyed by Toronto. At the end of the day, Detroit is one of those teams that are still undervalued somehow. Cleveland, we've mentioned in the past that the pitching staff has not been as good as we thought it was going to be. Of course, Frank Kona not being there hurts. The offense stinks. I'll take the hot team getting plus money. I'll, I'll go with Detroit. You? I just don't love Manning. I got Manning t- stinks, but I I'm hoping he you. only goes like three innings. No, I'm I'm all over. I'm all over Cleveland here. Cal Quantrell. It's it's a pure value play for me. I I can't lay one fifty with Cleveland. I yep. just can't do it. No, you got to do it. You you got to do it, buddy. Agree to disagree because I don't think you have to do it. Well, we can we can we can prove this, Scott. We'll just check back in Monday and see how this one went because that is true. Quantrell's been good, giving up one or less in his last four starts. I just don't see it going Detroit's way, and I like Detroit. I like I like that scrappy young bunch of overachievers. But what I do you think? The, so, what do you think Cleveland should be in this game? You think they should be one fifty? I think they should be around one twenty five. With with Matt Manning, I think they should be. I think one fifty is a pretty good number, maybe even a little higher, one fifty five, one sixty. I think you're giving Cleveland too much credit. Okay, well, they're you know they're still they're still a team that's not awful, Scott. They're just one game under five hundred, and uh, so you know. But this is a, this is a series. This is actually interesting, Scott. You talk about the big series in the in the NL East. They could actually, let's see here, if Cleveland were to get swept, they'd be 52 and 56. They're going for third place. 50, the Tigers could be in third place at the end of this weekend if they swept. Yep. That's just phenomenal to me. So probably the second biggest surprise after San Francisco. Probably. All right. Very good, Scott. Well, you and I disagree on that one. We'll see how that ends up. Of course, the Kansas City Royals head off to St. Louis. Scott, Mike Miner going against Adam Wainwright. Uh, Mike Miner. You see Wainwright or Kim? I've got I've got Wainwright on this sheet. Let me look here at another spot for you, buddy. Hang on. If it makes it easier, I like the under anyway. I've got Wayne, like, I've got Wainwright at both spots. Okay. I like the first five under. Okay. I don't want anything to do with St. Louis's bullpen. That performance against Atlanta yesterday was you're, disgraceful. You're going to be scarred for old. Scott, recap that. Can you do you remember it? Because so you, you were railing about it when game, we got together. Yeah, I'll do it quickly because I know that we got yeah, some yeah. other stuff we got to take care of. But uh, St. Louis was up two going to the eighth yesterday. They had two outs for Atlanta in the top of the eighth with two guys on base. So they bring in Reyes, who's their closer to pitch, faced four batters, walked all four guys, threw 21 pitches, four strikes. That's just that's phenomenal to me. Then that. they pulled them. They brought in another pitcher who walked the first guy with the bases loaded. So the Braves scored six runs in the eighth inning, mostly from walks. Did they score six runs with two outs? I believe so. (laughs) Good grief. Could be. It's at least four runs with two outs. Okay. That's just not ideal at all, right? But I don't want the bullpen. Miner's been good. Wainwright or Kim have have been fine. I'll go with the first five under there. Yeah, that's that's pretty solid. I I don't I don't hate that. Uh, Mike Miner, 
has pitched very well his last few times out. This is a St. Louis lineup that not good. Doesn't yeah, they don't they don't do well against lefties. They're hitting just 236 against left-handers. Yeah, I'll, I'll take the value there with the Royals. Wainwright has been surprisingly good, Scott. You talk about a guy that just seems to defy seems to defy time. He's won his last 3 starts and he's won 7 of his last uh, excuse me, 8 of his last 10. So that's much more impressive than I thought he would be this year. So, all right, Scott, you alluded to it. It is Friday. It is time to do it to it. As you and I put our heads together, we've come up with our very, very favorite play. Scott, it is time to put on your overalls, get that corn cob pipe out, climb up, climb up on your John Deere, and get ready, everybody, to bet the farm. So... The bet the farm play is going to be on the Oakland Athletics on the run line around minus 120 against the Rangers. You have Bassett on the mound for Oakland. He has faced the Rangers three times this season. Been pretty good. 3-0 record, 0.86 ERA. The Rangers can't touch him. They can't touch anybody. And the offense will struggle once again in this one. Meanwhile, you have Fulton Evitz on the mound for Texas. 8.39 ERA on the road. 7.36 ERA in night games. And he's allowed 31 home runs this season. Might turn into a bit of batting practice. But you want to talk about road woes. The Rangers are 13-40 and 40 on the highway. They have lost each of their first 10 road games since the All-Star break by at least two runs. Give me Oakland on the run one. That is absolutely incredible right there, Scott. And what's, what's hard to believe is they are almost as bad as Arizona. Arizona set the major league record for road ineptness of losing 23 in a row. They're 13 and 41. Rockies are 13 and 40, the same as the um, Rangers. Rangers. Yeah, just absolutely three horrible, horrible road teams. So we definitely like uh, take care of business there. And that is going to be our bet the farm play for today. Take those Oakland athletics on the run line, minus one and a half. And Scott, it's even it's most impressive by how much they've lost their road games by. That is just phenomenal to me. They've lost their first 10 road games, as you mentioned, after the All-Star break and haven't hit the run line in any of them. Yep. That's just fantabulous to me. So, all right, guys. Well, that is pretty much going to wrap it up. Scott, any, any thoughts? What are you doing this weekend? Anything exciting? Uh, overall, mostly just watching sports, uh, yearning for more football, but taking it easy. You? <laughs> Yeah, pretty much the pretty much the same thing. I'm actually going to go see Garth Brooks on Saturday night, Scott. I never. I didn't I've, know he does stand up by himself. I've never seen him before. He will be at Arrowhead Stadium. So nice. We're pretty excited about that. We're going to be with eighty thousand people in the middle of the pandemic. What could go wrong? So what's the odds on a Mike Myers, uh, Mike um, Myers cameo? Could be. Could be, Scott. We'll just we'll just have to see. That should be fun. I'll be watching sports just like the rest of you guys. So. For me, for Scott, for the rest of us here at Winners and Winers Radio, thanks for stopping by and checking us out. And we'll see you Monday on Winners and Winers Radio. Take care, everybody.